You're listening to the midweek edition of the 1208 Podcast. All right, y'all, welcome back to the midweek edition. Today, we are moving into Genesis 15, where we come across a passage that uh, maybe hasn't struck us in the light that it will today. But if you've been listening to our series on Genesis on the Midweek Podcast, as we move throughout the Old Testament, maybe you've now heard a few things where your mind is now starting to kind of submerge itself into the, the way that an ancient person thought. And words stand out differently than they used to before. Now, uh, today we're going to jump into something that, yeah, is is just that. It probably wouldn't have caught your attention before, but but now it might. So Genesis 15 is where we're going to be. uh, And we're just going to hone in today on one particular phrase. Now, there's a lot I'd like to say, uh, but we've been jumping around on Genesis as we've been going through the midweek edition and I've already said a lot of these things. And even this will be a little bit of repeat, but might uh, surprise you in a new light at the same time. So, let's take a look. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Okay, I got to I know I've already said it, but remember in in uh, the gospel... John starts his whole gospel off by saying the word became flesh. This right here is Abram visually seeing um, the word of the Lord. And Jesus, John is telling us he is the word of the Lord. So as weird as it sounds, if we're tracking with the way that the Bible's writing, we see again that the word is a person. He's present in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he is Jesus. So right here, as odd as it sounds, we see the potential of the Bible author saying that right here, Abraham is talking to Jesus before he is is, uh, born a man, you know? And we already know Jesus has always been around. The Bible teaches that, and that's uh, Trinity 101. So it's, I would say it's not as weird as it sounds. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. So there it is again, the word of the Lord being a being. And uh, now it, we're not even sure if this is so much like a vision in the mind or dream. Now it almost feels like he's physically present in that form that we see exist in the Old Testament where God somehow manifests on the earth as the word uh, or in other ways, too. You know, you see different titles given to God when he just shows up like this. The angel of the Lord is one of the other ones, which we did a whole podcast episode on that. You can go back and check that out if you want. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. 
and he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. All right, so where we're going to pause right here is that word, uh, look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. Now, this would have never startled us before, because, you know, you look up to the sky, you see a bunch of stars, and you're like, yeah, that's that's really hard to count. There are a lot of them up there. And so, you know, I guess I'm just going to have a lot of kids, just like it's It's like that. And that's an understandable way to take this passage because that is what it's saying. And that's further expressed elsewhere. To further that point, let's just uh, go to Genesis 22, 17, where God repeats this promise, but now he adds in another analogy. says, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Right? That's what we just heard. But then it goes on. And as the sand that is on the seashore. So we definitely see like part of God's analogy is exactly the way that we've always taken it. There's so many stars in the heavens. And to us who live in the city, we're like, oh, I don't know. I think I could count them. Look, if you, you know, caught a glimpse of the sky out in the country, you know, exactly no light around you at all, then you would be like, holy cow. Yeah, I, I see your point, God. Uh, but if we don't understand it in the uh, in the sky as city dwellers, then we definitely get it on the beachfront, right? Okay, go to a beach, reach your hand down in the sand, pull it up. You can't even count how many grains of sand are in your hand, you know? And so God's analogy is, is very clear. Just as there is so much sand on the seashore, Abraham, though you have no kids right now, one day you're going to look back and be like, look at all my descendants who have come from from my line uh, or have been adopted into my line spiritually through Jesus. Wow, God has really fulfilled his promise. So that, of course, is one statement that the analogy is supposed to make. But there's a little more being said here because as we've been talking through the podcast, we've realized like in ancient culture stars were living beings okay they they were way up in the sky they moved around and what is up in the sky but the heavens and so they would think of these as heavenly beings they move they therefore they must be alive somehow just because living things move this is the ancient way of of thinking of the stars Now, because they thought that the stars were heavenly beings, you don't see a lot of mention of the names of stars. And we've talked about this in the podcast before. Like, even if you were to go to the creation story, right, it doesn't say that God created the sun and the moon uh, to rule the day. It says he made the bigger light and the lesser light to rule the days. Like, you can tell that the people who wrote Genesis are trying not to bring up the names of of the sun and the moon because these would be associated with uh, other spiritual beings, and therefore it would confuse the creation story. People would think that, 
that the sun and moon are, are gods in some way looking over the earth. But the creation story doesn't paint it that way. It's, it's so intent on not accidentally painting it that way that it avoids the name of the sun and moon altogether. And if you look throughout Israel's history, you can see why they would do that, because they struggled with worshiping the stars time and time again. The prophets are calling them out all the time on their astral cults and all of this kind of junk, just saying like, what, what are you doing? Worship God and God alone. Leave the stars alone. Uh, so you see that this is a struggle for Israel. For example, if we were to go to 2 Kings 17, 16, it says, And they abandoned all the commandments of the Lord their God, and made for themselves metal images of two calves, and they made an Asherah, and worshipped all the host of heaven, and served Baal. Now, the host of heaven is a phrase that when you hear it, you think of angels, right? Or you think of spiritual beings, because they're heavenly beings. Uh, but... Uh, that would be true, but hosts of heaven also gets lumped together with, uh, with stars. And you see this comparison in several different verses. Deuteronomy 17.3, 2 Kings 23.5, Jeremiah 8.2. Uh, let's just read Deuteronomy as one example um, where it says uh, that some have gone and served other gods and worshipped them or the sun, or the moon, or any of the host of heaven, which I have forbidden. So here you see God saying, like, you leave, and instead of worshiping me, you worship sun, moon, or the host of heaven. So you know when the host of heaven is mentioned alongside the sun and moon, you're thinking of, of course, the stars, if you will, if not other astral objects. Uh, now this, of course, should... Uh, line up with some of the things that we have talked about on the podcast, because now we're not only thinking of heavenly beings as a host of heaven, but we're also thinking of uh, scientific objects like stars as the host of heaven, which for us, we're thinking of two separate things. But you have to remember the ancient mind saw them as the same thing. So when they looked at stars, they often recognized them as spiritual beings. This might even be easily seen just in the fact that uh, Odaystar, son of dawn, you know, you have this whole prophetic uh, statement in Isaiah 14, uh, where Isaiah 14, 12 is talking about how you are fallen from heaven, Odaystar, son of dawn. Now, we've talked over this passage in church before. This passage seems to be referring to kind of an origin story of Satan. And what is Satan referred to as here? Well, a spiritual being, but also a star, a star that has fallen from the heavens to the earth. So right there, you see another example of stars being uh, uh, related to a spiritual being. And of course, we see this too in... Uh, um, Revelation, right? In Revelation 1.16, we see Jesus holding seven stars, and uh, we wonder what that's all about until Revelation 1.20 tells us that the seven stars are angels of seven churches that John is writing to. So suddenly you see throughout Revelation 1.20, Revelation uh, 2.1, and Revelation 3.1 that all this star lingo is about uh, uh, angels, these spiritual beings. So 
right there we see again angels in the beginning of the bible kind of being seen uh there's spiritual beings in the beginning of the bible seeing being seen as stars all the way to the end of the bible as spiritual beings being kind of recognized in a star-like fashion so this should all be in our mind as an ancient person when we're reading through revelation uh, revelation through genesis genesis 15 uh, where we just were right because here's god he comes to Abraham, and surely, of course, he's trying to tell Abraham, look, just like you can't count the stars, that's how many kids you're going to have. But at the same time, of all the analogies God could have used in that moment, why didn't he start with sand if he didn't want to relate any kind of powerful kind of image to Abraham? Right? If you just want to say you're going to have a lot of kids, the sand analogy is maybe the way that you would go first. But instead, God speaks to Abraham, this ancient person who thinks of, of uh, stars as spiritual beings, because that's his culture. And God says, your descendants are going to be like the stars. hear that and we're like okay Jamin you know maybe you're just kind of piecing this together in your head weird but uh, the Bible seems to go with this later Paul specifically um, seems to take this the direction that we're now currently thinking and in case it's not culture that's causing Paul to take it a step further then maybe it's Daniel because in Daniel 12 2 through 3 Daniel says Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So here you have Daniel kind of talking about resurrection life, and now he's talking about humans who are dead in the earth, those who are righteous and lead many to righteousness are going to rise up and, and shine like the stars. So this is kind of uh, pre-Paul. Paul's already kind of got these things in mind. Now, in Romans 4, when Paul starts talking about uh, Abraham's promise that he'll shine like the stars, here's what he says. Romans 4.18 is going to specifically liken back to Genesis 15.5. And what he's going to say is, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, that kind of catches us off guard right there. Like, father of many nations, he was told that he was going to have a lot of descendants. And you're specifically quoting Genesis 15.5. So why are you saying like he's a father of many nations all of a sudden? Instead, he's going to have... A bunch of descendants. Why are you saying his offspring shall be, uh, uh, he'll be the father of many nations because of his offspring, right? Like, 
That just seems a little odd. In fact, if we rewound uh, to verse 13, Romans 4, 13, he, he talks again in the same style. He says, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through righteousness of faith. He's going to be the heir of the world. <laughs> like this, we're, this, the promise about his offspring, again, if we were to just specifically go back to Genesis 15, 5, where we just were, we would see that the promise is that Abraham's going to have a son who's going to be his heir. It's going to be his own flesh and blood. And that he's to look towards the heaven, number the stars. If you are able to number them, so shall your offspring be. There's not really anything about like being the heir of the world, right? There's there's not necessarily anything right here that's that's making us think that he's going to um, become the father of many nations. But then if we start thinking in the way that an ancient person would have thought, okay, so the promise is not just to have uh, many children, but to be like the stars above, these spiritual beings who rule in power and authority, uh, who, who, yeah, are are above the earth. Suddenly, if we're, we're thinking of it in that light, then we're like, okay, so now we can see like, if you're a spiritual being with power and authority above the earth, then you're ruling over the nations, then you're an heir of the cosmos, if you will. Like It goes from just being a simple statement to Abraham about how you're going to have your own child, your own kids, and many descendants over the years to something actually about power and authority. Just like the spiritual beings in the heavens, just like the stars above, you will be like that and your descendants will be like that. And if we keep following Paul's progression, Revelation's progression, the Bible's progression, then that's exactly the direction that it starts to take us, right? We see Paul talking about how uh, we're going to judge angels. So that would put us in a, a higher place of authority than the place in which we're we're currently at. We start seeing... Uh, um, well, let's see here. Uh, just check out these verses. Matthew 13, 43. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Right? So we see a shining. That gives us kind of like a star-like image. Matthew 22, 30. For in the resurrection they shall neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So we take on some kind of resemblance. And I don't know to what extent that is in this particular case it's a sexual thing that we won't be having sex uh or need marriage because we'll be like the angels but again there's this likening of the resurrected human body to an angelic kind of state revelation 3 5 the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments which uh, white garments were a thing of heavenly beings. You can find that in Daniel 7, 9, Luke 24, 4, Revelation 3, 5, 6, 11, 7, 9, 13 through 14, and chapter 7, 19, 14, 1 Enoch 14, 20, 62, 15, 71, 1, 2 Enoch 22, 8 through 10, 2 Maccabees 11, 8, Pseudophilo 64, 6, and 4 Ezra 2, 39. I know you're not going to look up any of those, uh, but those are just examples throughout the Bible and other uh, Jewish literature that imagines heavenly beings 
wearing white clothes. And so when Revelation 3.5 tells us the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments, like we see this statement telling us, like the heavenly beings, you will become similar. And then Revelation 7.9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes. So again, you see um, all of the nations that have now entered into Abraham's promise by entering into his line, being adopted, uh, suddenly we are coming together in the end times, in Revelation, and we're there worshiping before God's throne, uh, clothed in white robes like heavenly beings. So here you see that this promise to Abraham that one day you will have descendants like the stars if we were just to read that as you're going to have a lot of kids, that would be accurate but incomplete. For Paul, uh, saw it in the light of an ancient-minded person. Like the power and authority of the host of heaven, of the stars above, of the spiritual beings that uh, God has granted authority and power, we will one day become like that in some sense, that... Uh, the fallen stars will be removed and uh, the Christians will rise up to take their place. This is kind of a bigger image being told in the Bible, uh, which honestly, you, you kind of see start right here in Genesis 15, 5. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say start. I mean, Genesis is about us ruling with authority, but that's kind of like a, like a physical earth kind of way. Um, Genesis 15.5 is the start of a promise that you're going to have kids who are going to go on to fill a greater promise beyond just a lot of you. Uh, from a spiritual state, there will be more ahead of you. Okay, so that's today's little devotional. You see why it's so important to understand the Bible from the perspective of ancient people. Because when we read this, we don't see any of this. We believe that stars are burning balls of gas high up in the sky. To quote Pumbaa, right? Ah, I just thought they were fireflies. I'm sorry I did that. That was a horrible Timon. Um, but nonetheless, <laughs> we see in our own culture none of this. But then when we pay really attention, pay close attention to the way that they thought and the way that Paul perceived it, we're like, okay, there's actually more going on here. And we need to pay attention to the Bible in their context rather than simply our own if we want to catch it all. So I hope that's helpful for today and takes you a step further into the promise that we as Christians are stepping into and we will continue our journey throughout the Bible, here on the podcast, as well as in church, in many other ways. Hey, be praying for uh, some of our efforts. Uh, Nerd Church uh, is is uh, um, coming together this summer to to really put together, some, put some feet on the ground to the whole expression, in hopes to get maybe a launch uh, late fall, early winter. Uh, so, yeah, we just need your prayers and your thoughts. If, if you're a nerd and you're thinking of ways in which you can help us reach into the nerd culture to show people who Jesus is, uh, then, then let us know. Okay, 
we will catch you next time. If you have thoughts or questions, just uh, leave them on our webpage at 1208greenwood.com. And if you find the podcast helpful, it always helps to just leave a quick review on the podcast, at least if you're on iTunes. Just scroll to the bottom of the list of all our episodes, and if you wait a second, it'll pop up and say you can rate here. Okay, with that, uh, we will catch you next time.